Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where your past has no future and hope is reborn. Here is today's special guest speaker. chapter 8, beginning our reading with verse 36. And I'm reading from the New King James Translation. It says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. How many of you know everything's created except God? He's the creator. And and any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, I love you. I thank you for this opportunity and privilege to share your word. I know that I am nothing, but I know there's an anointing upon your word, and I pray that it will accomplish what you please in the hearts of all of these here today and those that may be watching online. In Jesus' name, your kingdom come, your will be done in every one of our lives. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the, quote, called saints somewhere around A.D. 56, which was uh, a long, long time ago, probably written while he was in Corinth. Paul had never yet visited Rome, so the theme and the message was not about correcting issues in the church like many of his epistles or letters but rather it was establishing the principles of Christianity for new believers in Christ. The book of Romans, therefore, is commonly considered the greatest exposition of Christian doctrine and faith anywhere in all of the Scriptures. One of my favorite professors at uh, Lee University was Dr. Donald Battle, and and, uh, he declared that Romans chapter 8 to be in itself a complete work on redemption and salvation. He used to say that if all of the Bible was somehow destroyed or somehow disappeared, except for that one chapter, Romans chapter 8, he said it alone would be enough to lead all of humanity to salvation in Jesus Christ through faith in Christ. With that in mind, I want us to look for just a few moments this morning at this chapter to recognize the faith that we have and the confidence that we have in Christ. Hallelujah. Romans 8 begins with the declaration, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Somebody say, I'm glad there's no condemnation in Christ. Amen. Amen. The chapter ends by saying, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, uh, nor uh, things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God 
which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Actually, it says separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just like to personalize that. Nothing separating me from my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Between verses 1 and verses 39, we read some verses like, and some of them you're going to see up on the board this morning if you don't have your own Bible available. Like verse 2 that says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The word law here could be translated authority or dominion. And he's saying the authority or power of the Spirit sets us free from the dominion of sin and of death. Not only was Jesus resurrected, but we've been resurrected to new life in him already. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins when you die out to the world and you're born again and come into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that life is already begun. In fact, I've told many people in my life that if there was no heaven to gain or hell to shun, I would still rather live the life that I'm living than anything that I know because I already ex have experienced redemption in Christ. I already know the Father who loves me. I know the Son. I know the Holy Spirit who lives in me. I recognize that the life I have is far better than anything else I could experience in this entire world. And I've known that from the time I was a boy. In verse 11, the Bible said, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in you. I'm so thankful that every day of my life I can experience the presence of God. Someone said, how do you know that God is real? Well, he lives in me. I experience him every day. There's an old song of the church that used to, they used to sing that says, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit lives in me, and I experience him every day. The world would say, it's okay if you talk to God. You're just crazy if he talks back to you. Well, I'm here to tell you, he talks back to me every single day. I hear his voice in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit. We walk together. We talk together. I drive down the road and sometimes I think people are probably wondering what channel that I'm listening to on the radio when I'm just talking to God and he's talking back to me and we're enjoying blessed fellowship. I, I, I don't know the, if I could live but I certainly wouldn't want to live without the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that lives in me. He quickens me and enables me and strengthens me and comforts me and helps me every single day of my life. Hallelujah. Temporal life and eternal life are secured by the Spirit of God that lives in us. Can somebody say amen? In fact, in John 10 and 10, Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's true in this world as well as in the world to come. In verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Fear is bondage. But the revelation of our adoption into the family of God produces freedom. Freedom from fear. Hallelujah. We should fear no one because God lives in us. In fact, we should fear nothing because God lives in us. Paul then gives us four powerful promises to, en help, to enhance our confidence in the love of God. 
verses 16 and 17. We are children of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. We are the brothers and sisters of Christ. And as joint heirs, we will suffer with him as well as eventually be glorified with him. God did not exempt his son from suffering. We just looked at Holy Week. God did not exempt his son from suffering on the cross. You remember when he was in the garden praying, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And we know that it was the will of the Father for the son to die upon the cross. In fact, he endured all the suffering before the cross for our benefit and for our blessing. And the God that did not exempt him from suffering does not always exempt us from suffering. You know, if, you're, if you've been alive for more than a, a few weeks or a few months or a few years, you know that there is some suffering that we go through in the world that we're living in. But here's the promise. The promise is that our suffering will never be in vain but will lead us to being glorified just as Jesus went through suffering and then was glorified. In Ephesians 2 and 6, Paul declares that we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. The apostle James and Peter declares that our sufferings perfect us or mature us. Our suffering will be beneficial in the light of eternity. And let me just say here that sometimes our suffering isn't even for us. It's for somebody else. Sometimes we go through some suffering like a, a, a woman going through suffering in the birth of a child. She's not suffering for her sake. She's suffering for that child that she's bringing into the world. But his promise is, even though they're suffering in this world, it will not be in vain. If we trust him, if we believe in him, then we know that we will be glorified with him as well. In fact, in verse 18, he says, our present sufferings do not compare with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And then in verse 26, he gives us a second promise. The Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses and makes intercession for us. What a promise. I know that one of the reasons the Holy Spirit comes into us is to transform us, to help us to become what God has originally created us to be. Sin messes up your life. It messes up all of our lives. And all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory that God intended for us to have and be when he created mankind. But in spite of all of that, the Spirit of God has come in as the Spirit of adoption. He, we are now the children of God. We have been delivered from our sin and from the authority and dominion of, of sin. And the Spirit who lives in us, that promise is that he will intercede for us. I love that chorus that says that God is not against us. He's for us. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us. And that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us constantly, all of the time. In our weak moments, in our difficult moments, we are never alone in times of suffering or difficulty or trouble or trial or temptation. 
because the Holy Spirit who lives in us, if we're a child of God, in fact, the Bible said you can't be a child of God if the Spirit's not in you, but if the Holy Spirit is in us and he comes in uh, when we accept Christ as our Savior and as our Lord, the Holy Spirit is there to help intercede with us and through us and for us. He is our he, he is our prayer partner while we are in this world. Think about that for just a moment. What confidence we should have to know that the God who spoke the world into existence lives in us as the Holy Spirit. And he's praying for us, interceding for us. There have been many times in my life when I've gone to God knowing I needed to pray, but not knowing how to pray, not knowing what to say. Not, not even knowing how to deliver my soul and, and my heart to God. And, 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 and I've just, you know, laid before the Lord, you know. Sometimes I, I, in my mind I just feel like I'm just crawling up in the lap of God and, and, and the lap of Jesus. And I'm saying, Jesus, I, you know my heart. I don't even know how to say it, but you, you know my heart. And the Bible says in those kind of times, in those moments, the Holy Spirit that's in me who knows everything I'm feeling and everything I'm going through is talking to the Jesus who's gone through everything that I've already, that I am going through now. And he's making intercession for me so that I can be an overcomer can you say amen the promise is that the God who lives in us will not forsake us but will intercede for us and then the third great promise is Romans 8 28 and it's one of my favorites probably one of your favorites it tells us that God will exploit our difficulties for good what yeah God will exploit our difficulties for good. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And people that don't know him don't understand that. You know. In fact, people who don't know him think that when we say that, we've probably never gone through anything. <laughs> you know. Well, I preached a sermon one time and I said, I, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. And I have seen a thing or two. I had a sister who was murdered by her husband at 34 years of age. I know what it is like to lose someone that you love greatly in an awful way. In fact, when she died, I said, God, I, I don't understand this, you know. Why would, why would you let him, you know, take her life? She was a Christian, you know. He was a heathen. And God said, she was ready. And he was not. At the time, I struggled with that. I'll be honest with you. You know, I struggled. I, I know that that makes sense up here, but it doesn't make sense down here. But I had to accept that God makes all things work together for good. And I asked God again, God, why didn't you let him just kill himself instead of kill her? He's that miserable. And God again said, because she was ready and he was not. 
And then the Holy Spirit said he was never going to let go of her. He was never going to let her leave him. She was in the process of getting a divorce at the time she was. In fact, she was buried the day her divorce would have been final. He waited to the very last minute before he took her life. She was ready. And I took her to save her from the suffering that she would have gone through because he was never going to let her go. He was not. So I didn't let him take his life. Here's the thing. Years later, that husband that killed my sister after getting out of jail and after going on with his life developed cancer and I and that wasn't a praise I only say this that cancer led him to a place of repentance and he accepted Christ as his savior and then I understood God knew 20 years before that there would come a time when he would cry out and be saved. And God loved both of them so much that he took the one home to glory, which, by the way, death is not a bad sentence for a child of God. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. You know, in fact, the Bible says that God rejoices in the death of his saints. And so she got her reward a little bit early, but God spared his life until he could get saved, until he could get right. And, and, and I come to understand this. The promise of God is that he will exploit our difficulties for ultimate good if we are committed to his will. All things, even hardships, even sufferings, even bitter disappointments, even unfair treatment, no matter what you go through, God will use it for ultimate good and his ultimate purpose and plan if we are committed to him and his plan for our life. I rejoice in the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. Nothing will derail us from God's will if we choose to surrender to him. In verses 31 through 35, or excuse me, let me, yeah, let me go on. Verses 31 through 35, Paul asks, who can be against us? Who can challenge us? Who can condemn us? Who can separate us from the love of God? There's no one on this planet. Now you can blame other people for your mess. And other people may be involved in your mess. But no one can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He then says, what? can separate us. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, war, the sword. None of these things. Because that fourth promise in verse 39 says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Conquering means overcoming, becoming a victor. We defeat every challenge through our relationship with Jesus, through trusting in who he is and everything he has done for us and everything he has promised to do for us. 
I used to think of Romans 8, 36 through 39, the text for this message is Paul's declaration of the power of God's love as though his love was like a strong grip on me and nothing could pull me out of his hands. The more that I studied these scriptures, I came to a different understanding. I believe that Paul's declaration was not just about the power of God to hold on to us, which is true, but also about the power of Paul's commitment to the God who loves him. Paul was saying, I will not let anything separate me from the love of God. Because the truth of the matter is, the only one that can separate you from God's love is you. Only you. No one else, no matter what anyone else does, no one can separate you from the love of God. We're not saved by God's love alone, but by our surrender to his love. Those of you that have been around a while know that love has to be a two-way relationship or it doesn't work. You know? has to be a two-way relationship. That, that's true with God, just like it's true in human relationships. When I would counsel with people before getting married, I would tell them, unless you're both winners, you'll eventually both be losers. You know, and of course, you know, young couples getting ready to get married, they, what are you talking about? You know, we're in love, you know, and everything is wonderful. I said, the choice you make and who you marry is a, is a big choice. It's an important choice and decision. I said, but the decisions you make after you get married are just as important. Hello? Amen. Amen. Because erotic love and romantic love will not keep you and sustain you. My wife and I just celebrated our 49th anniversary. Believe me, when I married her, I knew she was a great gal, but I had no idea. I loved her with all of my heart then, but in 49 years, my heart has grown a whole lot. My understanding has grown a whole lot. I told someone the other day, when we got married, we were kids. And I said, I knew that I loved her, and I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, but I had no idea how to be a good husband. In fact, I had to learn that in some ways I was a selfish jerk. And I had to learn that... Godly love is selfless love. And that when we talk about agapeo or agape, as we say most of the time, really the Greek word is agapeo, and, and, and it basically describes a love that says, I want what is in your best interest. I wish that that was true when I got married. But I got married in visualizing all the things she could do for me. But I learned that that relationship has to be a two-way street. And then eventually I learned that, that that's why God talks about our relationship with him in the sense of a marriage relationship. He compares it so many times because that's true in a marriage relationship too. People can stay together for years but not love each other. And people can love each other but not understand the depths of, of, of love and, and commitment. But it has to be a two-way relationship. Who can separate you from the love of God? No one but you. 
if you choose not to give up. And you see, my, my thoughts changed because when I went back and started looking at all these scriptures in Romans 8, yeah, there's no doubt that God's love is this great powerful force. But I realized that he was also telling them, <laughs> but you are a new creation. You are a new person. You have a new life. You have a new family. You have a relationship that, that, that is guaranteed to bring blessing into your life if you will just walk in his spirit, if you will be led by his spirit. In other words, if you will follow the Lord and do what is right, then you will experience a love relationship that nothing else in this world can provide for you. Nothing. We conquer every battle. Not because we don't have battles, but because we know that the God who loved us enough to die for us and who loved us enough to live in us is the God who said, I'm coming back for you and we will live together forever. Hallelujah. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what eternity is. I, 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 I can't really fathom that. I can't fathom time having no meaning anymore. In fact... <laughs> My wife and I used to fight about time all the time. One of our biggest fights in our marriage was, you know, trying to be on time for someplace. You know, we finally just got to the place where, you know, if that's the worst problem we have, we'll, we'll be okay. You know, we will, we will make it. We're not going to let that destroy our relationship. And there's some things in this world that we have to let go of in order to, to have the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. That's true with Him as well as it is in our, in our human relationships. We conquer not because we win every physical battle we fight, but because we don't lose faith. Even when it feels like we're losing the battle. Our grip on God must be strengthened by our faith in Christ. The three Hebrew children remained confident of their faith in God before they were thrown into the fiery furnace, not after they got out. Hello? I heard someone preach one time that Daniel must have really been sweating that night in the lion's den. And I thought, what Bible are you reading? Daniel wasn't sweating at all in the lion's den. In fact, he laid down and slept. It was the king who ordered him into the lion's den that didn't sleep. He was the one that was worried. Why? Because he didn't have the same confidence that, that Daniel had. Daniel wasn't sweating obedience to God because he knew that obedience always brings blessing. And he knew that in his obedience to God that God would provide for him. And by the way, if God chose to take him, didn't, didn't, doesn't really matter if it's a fiery furnace or if it's a lion's den or if it's on a battlefield or if it's in your own house. When it's your time, God will take you. Until then, God's going to love you and reach out and minister to you and, and call you. But his love alone will not save you. You have to respond to that love. His love only gives you the opportunity for this glorious life. Hallelujah. It's our response to his love. 
that makes all the difference in the world. Paul said, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Paul was trying to encourage those Roman believers who were living in a time, you know, sometimes this, this world has gone crazy. Yeah, well, that world was crazy too. In fact, anywhere the devil is in any kind of control, it's crazy. And he was writing to those Roman Christians who had come to Christ, know Christ in a world that was so heathen that they thought killing people was a game. And he said, trust the Lord. Be confident. You know, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God if you choose to trust him and obey him. We are living in dangerous times today. We're living in difficult times. I believe we're living in, quote, the last days. And I understand theologically that might have started nearly 2,000 years ago. But I'm, I'm telling you, I believe we are getting close to the end. And he says, they that will endure to the end will be saved. Which means I have some responsibility. I cannot be saved without Christ. But I have a responsibility. What's your responsibility? To not give up. To not turn back. To not allow any suffering or any trials or any difficulties or anything I'm going through. You know. I told you earlier that I have a granddaughter that's in heaven. She is. She died February 4th of 2020 in the hospital after being on a ventilator for 34 days. But God took her home to spare her from continued suffering. How do you know that? Because he told me that. Because when I prayed and said, okay, God, I don't understand this one. What's going on? He clearly spoke to me and revealed his heart. You see, God wants to have that kind of relationship with you. You know, God doesn't want you to be full of questions. He wants you to be full of grace and mercy and love. And he wants to talk to you and share with you if you will open up your heart to him. Hallelujah. We will overcome. And he says, we will be glorified. And so be confident in the Lord. I'm not confident in our government. I'm not confident in what's going on in our world. I'm not confident in man. My confidence even isn't even in the church because I've seen too many churches that have failed. You know. But I do have confidence in the God who loved me enough to die for me. Who loved me enough to create me and then when I screwed up to die for me. And then when I accepted him to come live in me. And then who went back to heaven to prepare a place eternally for me so that I could live with him forever. That is my confidence. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? He said, if I'm for you, who can be against you? Yeah. We have a faithful, faithful Savior. Proverbs 27 and 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. My goal in life 
can't be to make it to a point where before I die, I come to Christ. Because we have no guarantees. We have no guarantees. Even with the pandemic, I have lost several good friends. And they weren't in their 80s and 90s. One was 57 and the other one was 46 or 47. Does that bother you? They were ready to go. It saddens me because I'm going to miss them. But it doesn't hinder my confidence in God. I spoke to a man a couple months ago. I had breakfast with him for two hours. And he said, when your granddaughter died, didn't that, how did that affect your faith in God? Did it challenge it? And I said, no, not at all. Because God told me why he took her. I said, it didn't challenge me. I said, it just gave me one more reason to look forward to heaven. I got a lot of loved ones and a lot of friends there. And I am looking forward to seeing them again, but they'll have to be on standby because when I get there, the first person I want to see <laughs> is the one with the nail prints in his hand <laughs> because he died for me. He lived for me and he died for me and he rose for me. And when he came up out of that grave and after paying my punishment, he chose. God who is spirit chose to remain in human form because he was committed to me. Do you ever stop and think about that? After Jesus died on the cross and went, went to hell and, and was resurrected, you know, he was God the Spirit before he was God in flesh. And I'm confident he could have gone back to being God in spirit, but, but he didn't. Why? Because he made a commitment to me. And so even though there is God the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Son will always be in some glorified human body because of his commitment to me and his commitment to you. That'll blow your mind if you stop and think about it for a while. The God who can be anywhere at any time chose to remain in human form because of his commitment to us. That's the kind of love I can commit to unreservedly and have confidence in his care for me. I want to close with this verse of scripture from the book of Philippians chapter 1. And I don't use the NIV a whole lot, but I just like the way this one reads. And so it says, you know, and if you don't like the NIV, that's okay. But I love how it words is worded because it says, whatever happens. How many of you know we're living in the day of whatever happens? Anything can happen these days. Someone told me the other day Trump's going to be president again by August. Say, you believe that? I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. What does matter to me? He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whatever happens, then 
whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. I remember a guy named Steve Burnett many, many years ago. He was out doing street work and he was in a uh, notorious town in Tennessee. Um, a lot of stuff goes on in that town, Newport. And there was a bunch of guys sitting on a porch and he went up on the porch to just share Christ with these young men. A guy pulls out a gun and sticks it right in his face. He said, don't talk to me about God. Right now I'm God because I'm deciding whether you live or die. Steve smiled at him and said, before you pull that trigger, you might want to think about whether or not it's God's will for me to die. He said, because if it's God's will for me to die, yeah, you'll pull the trigger. You'll blow my brains out and you've done me a favor. I'm going to heaven. But if it's not God's will to take me, then that gun's probably going to blow up on you and you'll be going out into eternity. He said, so make your decision. The guy stared at him for a few seconds and then his hand began to shake. <laughs> and then he said, I, I, leave me alone. Ran off the porch. Ran from the man of God. Why? Because he couldn't scare Steve about going to heaven. Hello. <laughs> but he was scared about going to hell. I want to tell you, have confidence in the God that you serve because whatever happens, stand firm in the faith. In fact, he doesn't just say stand firm in the faith. He basically is saying stand firm in unity. The devil's job is to try to divide all of us to hate each other. The world's full of hate. But he says, no, stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Stand firm in unity. Stand strong with courage. Stand faithful in obedience. And then whatever happens, know that God is in control. And he is. And I trust him. Would you bow your head with me? Whatever happens. God, every day of my life is a blessing. Not because I enjoy every day, but because I trust in your authority and dominion and power. And I trust in it because I've yielded it to you. As much as you love me, you can't make me love you any more than I could make my wife love me. In fact, there's plenty of fractured relationships because people are married to people who won't love them or can't love them or will choose not to love them. But our relationship is whole because I've chosen to respond to your love. And I know that you love me. And I am grateful and thankful for everything you've done and everything you're doing 
in everything you will do. God, I felt an urging in my spirit a couple times when I was talking about suffering. So I know that there's some people here that have really gone through some things already. Painful things. It's as painful to them as the loss of my sister was to me. But I also know that you want them to be whole. You want to heal them. And there may be some here that are just struggling to figure out what in the world is going on in America today because this isn't the country I was raised in. Our society has gone crazy. And yet, I'm here to be a light in the darkness and to share your love with people who are hopeless, helpless, and hurting. So God, I pray for everyone in this building this morning, not, not knowing really hardly any of them. But I pray that they will experience your love. That the Holy Spirit would tug at their hearts and remind them how much you love them. Your love will not save them, deliver them, or heal them unless they respond. And so I pray as you tug at their hearts, help them to respond to you, to surrender to you, to give you the pain, the suffering. For some, it may be bitterness, to give you the bitterness that they've been carrying in their heart because there is no joy, there's no happiness in bitter hearts. But to empty them of all of that junk and fill them with your presence and your power and your glory. I ask it in your name, recognizing that I am nothing, but you are everything in your word. Is powerful and so I speak life I speak life to them I speak life over them right now the life of Jesus Christ and give you all the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor hallelujah hallelujah our special guest speaker today at Encounter. All of our guest speaker messages can be downloaded from our website, godenc.com. Messages from Bishop Michael Rice are freely available on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.